And we're back with another Skull Stories presented by 3M, the official science partner of the Minnesota Vikings. Tonight, we're catching up with former Viking, Stephen Weatherly. Welcome back to Skull Stories presented by 3M. Tonight's guest was a Viking for four and a half seasons and wrapped up his career in 2021. Besides his play on the field, you may also remember him from his fun segments on Vikings.com called The Weatherly Report. Please enjoy tonight's conversation with old number 91, Stephen Weatherly. I'm absolutely thrilled to have Stephen Weatherly join us on Skull Stories this week. A man who, there aren't, there aren't many people whose personality are as big as they are. And a guy that has so, you know, we talked to Robert Smith. A week mm-hmm. ago, and Robert Smith, you know, he's got a lot of stuff. And didn't he study? You know, he has all this stuff on the side <laughs> or whatever. That's nothing compared to this guy, Stephen Weatherly, and uh, in, with everything that uh, that this guy brings to the table. And he's about so much more than just football. It's absolutely fascinating. But, Stephen, thank you for being on. How are you doing? Hey, uh, I'm doing really good. Rested and recharged. Uh, how you guys feeling? Doing well. Yeah, we're good. The sun's out. It's, yeah. it's, it's no, you know, it's October and Perfect the sun's fall. out. So we're, we're, we're not going to get greedy or anything with this. So. We're just enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, no, I'll never forget those uh, those uh, the first snows when I was up there playing. Well, St- Stephen, you were um, selected by the Vikings in the seventh round of the 2016 draft. If you kind of go back and uh, down memory lane, what was that process like for you? And the, the, who from the Vikings contacted? Did you know they had interest in you? And what was that? What was that like for you? Getting this? No, that was that was wild. I had no idea. My agent was kind of saying a handful of other teams at the time. I think the Panthers were one of them. I know I did really well in the uh, interviewing process, and they brought me out, spoke to the coach, and our philosophies lined up a lot. But I did meet with um, Dre and Coach Ra at the Combine. I wasn't one of those, like, brought into a private room, kind of grill you with questions. I had to go to the train station. And uh, <laughs> you, that's when you walk up the team. Yep. And you have to sell yourself. And so I was pitching myself to all 32 teams. And then um, I think that's where we, they kind of realized that like, oh, this guy can keep up mentally with what we have, what we can ask from him. So on the day of, the Vikings called me. Dre called me. So what, Andre Patterson, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, Andre Patterson. Okay. Yeah. So how you doing? I said, I'm pretty good. It's like around the sixth round. And he said, are any teams calling about you? And I lied. And I was like, yeah, they're all calling. <laughs> yes. He's like, okay, okay, okay. Let me talk to him. Let me talk to him. And then um, I didn't hear anything for a while. Uh, they picked someone else. I think uh, Beavers, uh, Kendro mm-hmm. Brothers went, Mobo went in the third. Uh, we were just moving on down. And um, my head coach uh, texted me saying, congrats. And I was really confused. And then I got the call from the organization. So a lot of mixed, a lot of mixed emotions, I, I assume. Oh, right. it, was, it was crazy because yeah. um, I was trying to figure out this text. Uh, my agent was telling me just to hang in there. My family was all prepared for like this big thing. It was kind of just whittling down, and I got that call, and it all just boosted everything right back to the top again. We cut cake, and it was, it was crazy. Uh, it was a true roller coaster on, on draft day, day three for me. Right, and that's, uh, that's why I always love it for the seventh rounders. Yeah, and I was a seventh rounder as well, and that's, you know, that's really just the beginning because you show up, and it's not easy. It's just not easy for a seventh round pick to make a team. At least it was back, you know, back when you were playing. But you did have Andre Patterson, and I, I actually mm-hmm. Dre was coaching here when I when I when I was still playing back in two thousand. Mm-hmm. And what was it like playing for him? Because he's, I think, when in, you when you look back at the at the coaches that have been through here, he's he's almost legendary. So what was it like being a seventh round pick? showing up and then having someone like Andre Patterson be your mentor? It was really a blessing. It was really easy, too, because you really play for him. 
if you meet him, like he has a passion um, and he knows how to bring the passion out of others, which was always a great thing to be a part of. I was really blessed to have one of those coaches as my first coach. And like you said, he was like a legendary coach. How passionate were you about you know, the game at that point and, and pursuing as long a career as you could possibly have in the NFL when you know that there's just a you know a short time that you can actually make your mark, especially someone trying to prove himself and knowing that you've had, as, as Pete mentioned, kind of a renaissance man, that you had this you know, very strong background in other interests that you had that you were going to pursue after football. No, it was it was tough because you have to dedicate everything to being mm-hmm. a football player while you're being a football player. You can't laissez-faire. You can't just dip your toe in. But yeah, I did have like my, my passions laid elsewhere, but it was um, my ability to show up and, and fight and grind was something that was um, that kept me in it because I know I had goals to like take care of my loved ones and uh, represent like Southwest Atlanta to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was it was really tough because I got cut my first year and um, CJ just had his hundredth game, I believe. Yes, um, we were both on the P squad together and we both got called <laughs> up the same week. It was Thanksgiving <laughs> week. And he just had his hundred grand. I'm so happy for him. But yeah, no, so it was tough. And then from that point, then I made it as a core teamer the following year. And then I think the next year I made it, I was a rotational guy. And then it wasn't until 2028 I went somewhere as a starter. We're joined by Stephen Weatherly. And Stephen, that, that 2017 year when you made it and you became one of the core teamers, that was quite the season. What do you remember uh, about that year and then specifically about the the Minneapolis Miracle, one of the greatest games uh, this town has ever seen. That year was really big on complimentary football. It was the first time I heard about it as a player, and it was something that was really dope because you weren't really celebrated as a core teamer. You were just there. But that year they made it a big deal to be like everyone is important. So everyone took pride in everything that they did, uh, which offense and defensive starters always do and all the second backup guys always do because they want to be starters. But it's the rest of the team, the other half of the team, how do you keep them motivated throughout those dog days of like the end of the season and uh, celebrating uh, offense, defense, and special teams? We had that, and that took us like really far. Um, and that Minneapolis miracle was was crazy because <laughs> I was sitting as a, as a core teamer. You always sit opposite of whatever team is out there. So you sit on the offensive bench while the offense is out there because the defense is doing their breakdown. And so um, I'm sitting next to the other core teamers and we're watching because when you're a practice squad guy or mainly practice squad, you're watching the guy that you've been going against all week because he's telling you everything from his notes. Like, mm-hmm. yo, this guy's a cross chopper. This guy's a bull rusher. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I need you to do it just like this guy. And so we're, we're playing the Saints and I'm watching Rashad Hill go out there and I've been like helping him sharpen his axe all week. So I'm, I'm like, hey, he was look for this cross chopper, look for this bull rush. Um, and he sat on it. And it gave him just enough time, and Diggs caught it and went down the line and scored. I ran right out there to the offensive line. I was like, y'all did it. Like, <laughs> we did it. I just, I just really celebrated with the O-line at first because uh, it was a tough battle. It was a tough battle. Of course, Drew Brees was the opposing quarterback that day. Of all the quarterbacks you faced in your career, would you put him near the top of the list as far as cerebral and the understanding of the game and how it made it difficult for anyone in your position to try to get him off his game? Yeah, definitely one of the best. Because you always, he's a very rhythm guy. And you want to affect him, you always say, well, get your hands up. He's a shorter quarterback. Mm-hmm. But it, that's just not the answer. So, yeah, he's definitely someone that you have to put a lot of emphasis on. Think about the offensive lineman that you won against every day. What was that group like? You know, it's, I mean, we had a pretty good offensive line that year. That was very much, I think, where I got to grind my own axe and, like, form it. Because that was also a, a take-no-BS group. They came out ready, and Coach really knew how to put them together. So Sperano. But no, they were really good, and they were really good at, like, helping me as where I, where I stood as a P-Squad guy, like, help them 
get better. And it was in that that I learned how to think better as a football player, which is always something I took like a lot of uh, respect for and always was very appreciative of as the old lineman that I got to interact with on the teams that I was with very like knowledgeable and love like helping like young defensive linemen try to get better and think about the game in a different way and those guys really did that for me and I, I appreciate that because uh, I was trying to learn how to be like the ex just like uh, B-Rob <laughs> and that was tough yeah. uh, trying to like navigate a line try to get through I only got back there like twice on the X position, but uh, no, it was crazy. Again, we're talking to Stephen Weatherly, and we're talking about your NFL career, but let's just back up a little bit and go back to your high school high school days because you were involved in so much other than football. I mean, obviously you did track, but robotics. I mean, so many outside interests. What fueled your outside interests? Was it your family, uh, mom in particular, who, who I believe had uh, degrees from MIT and Harvard? Pretty hard not to be uh, influenced by that. Oh, yeah, no. Your um, grandmother, right. Yeah, yeah. My, it was my grandma. It was my right. grandma. So right. She got a certificate from Harvard and a certificate from MIT and community enrichment. My goodness. And that's kind of where like my passion for giving back to communities and human capital development, community enrichment came from. And um, that's what the foundation came from, trying to help these kids be the best versions of themselves in the future, whatever that is. Um, and my mom was a general contractor, so she built houses. And so that's where me being on the job site and watching her create day after day after day, for her, it was houses. For me, it was machines. And so then that's how I became like interested in robotics. Then I got to be on the robotics team, captain of the robotics team. I went to the world championships my yeah. senior year. And um, that was like a crazy experience to go to uh, St. Louis and see teams from all around the world and kids my age with this bigger, burning, deeper desire for this thing. And then that I had and just made me want to go do that even more. But, yeah, no, that was like a great time. And it was also on like the chess club. So I was uh, deep in it. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. You know, it, a lot of things that help people back are fears, right? They have a fear of, of failure. That's a huge thing for a mm-hmm. lot of folks. You were never afraid to put yourself out there to try something new, and that that trying something new is a big deal. But you were you were okay with doing it in public on film. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. where did where did yeah. you get that? Uh, where did that come from? And yeah. what, what I mean for for those kids out there that are listening, or even adults that are listening, it's like what what do you yeah. tell them when to get them over the edge to go mm-hmm. ahead and do something that they just love to do? Yeah. So I, for a very long time, I wasn't that guy who would um, put himself out there and try things and not be afraid of failure. And that held me back in a lot of aspects. And it wasn't until someone pushed me to get out my comfort zone and I started living that life that I started to truly like enjoy it and have more fun and not care so much what other people thought. Because it was really just my interpretation of it. So then um, I decided from that point on just to go out there and be the change I wish to see and encourage people to come and do things with me and challenge me to do things. And I'm going to challenge you to do things too. There's a whole bunch of different factors too. Uh, you could be afraid. You could feel like people are judging you. You can feel like you're the only one. So I try to go against all of that. So I try to encourage people. So we're going in groups. Let's all go do escape rooms. Let's all go glass blowing. Let's all go do pottery. Let's all go do rug making. I've been making a lot of rugs recently. Um, Fantastic. So anything new, anything that's out there, out of the box, let's go try it. Who cares? <laughs> you don't know if you like it until you try it. And then we can talk about it later over tea. <laughs> <laughs> Stick around for more Skull Stories presented by 3M, the official science partner of the Minnesota Vikings. We'll be right back with more from Stephen Weatherly right after this. And welcome back to tonight's edition of Skull Stories presented by 3M, the official science partner of the Minnesota Vikings. From the field to the roof and everywhere in between, 3M, the official science partner of the Minnesota Vikings, is here. 
Visit vikings.com slash science to learn more. Now let's get back into our conversation with former Viking Stephen Weatherly. Among the things you did with the Weatherly report here in the Twin Cities, you try those new things uh-huh. as you mentioned, you worked at the State Fair. Did you? Is it true that yeah. you worked at Sweet Martha's Cookie Stand, which was the longest lines every single minute of yes. the State Fair? What was that oh, like? Oh, man. The moment you brought up Weatherly Report, I think we did like six, seven episodes. Yeah. The first thing I thought about was Sweet Martha's, even though it was like <laughs> our fourth episode, because that was the craziest experience. In what way? Because uh, it's, it's, cra- it's mainly high schoolers, but it's a... It's a well-oiled machine. I've, I've, I'm not like a fair person prior uh-huh. to being in Minnesota, and I had never been before that, and I've only known of Sweet Martha from people talking about it. And so that was my first experience being was the inside of it, filming it. Um, then I went back the next year, and I was in the line, the long wait. It's mm-hmm. a well-oiled machine in there, and they are flying through it, and they are servicing as quick as they can. But on the outside, that's just how much people love it and how long the line is. Uh, and it's mainly high schoolers. Yeah, And so she's like very efficient in like the way her, her system and her company is set up. Um, but being a part of that for just one day was hectic. I assume yeah. that's what like offensive huddles are like, because everyone's just <laughs> screaming everything and it all meant something. And on defense, I'm just thinking about just going forward and messing stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> just getting in the way, causing, causing havoc, right? All the time. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Uh, especially when they try to do like a gap scheme play and like you beat the puller just because you ran upfield too far uh, <laughs> and you just pop up in a running back's face. <laughs> That's what keeps you going. Now, when you went to Carolina, you were brought in. So you, you show up in Minnesota as a seventh round draft pick. It's one of those situations where they're like, yeah, we like you. You know, good luck making mm-hmm. a team. But you go to mm-hmm. Carolina, you know, you were a featured part of that defense. They brought you in for a purpose. Talk about the difference in that. And showing up on a, on a, at a professional franchise as a counted-on member of the defense. That's very much something where, and, I, and this is a learning lesson I needed to learn along the way, is to just be yourself. You don't need to be what others need you to be because being you got you to where you are. So don't try to be what other people's expect, expectations are. Um, and if you understood that then like you under, you've been in that moment and if not when you get to that moment you will just be yourself because it was me being me playing my style of football which earned me that contract and then I got there and I let other people's expectations mm-hmm. get to me and I tried to go out and reach those and fight for those but it wasn't me and it was in that that I failed and I was like damn I didn't stay true to myself and it wasn't until I said F other people's, I don't even cuss, but like, it wasn't until I said, like, forget other people's stuff. And I started just playing me at the, towards the end. Then the production started to come. Um, and then came the second opportunity in Minnesota. And then um, that translated over to Denver, which was some of my best balls standing up. But, yeah, I failed in showing up in the way that the organization needed me to. And all I had to do was just show up and be the Stephen Weatherly that they saw the previous year with the Vikings and just continue to take those steps forward and not be the saving grace of a franchise's defense. Just be a part of a defense, just like I was taught under Zim. Let's do your 111. <laughs> yeah. Not be Superman. Yeah. Some wise man once said pain and injuries are in the contract. Um, the, the, the injuries that you did incur, uh, like a lot of players do, get to the point where it's just diminishing returns that I, I don't want to be that guy uh, that just kind of hangs on and 
you know, I do have a lot of other interests, but uh, how much did that derail your mindset about continuing your NFL career? My femur surgery? Yeah, the knee injury, and I know you had oh. finger surgery. You had a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, that it was, it was all, the finger was fine, and the, the shoulder was fine. Um, but then when I got my, my knee, it was my seventh knee operation since college. Oh, my. On my left knee. And they were all just were like, I was, I was choosing the option of like removing what was bad, but I got to the point where I, now I needed that. And I just got caught up in a, in a practice pile and uh, not even a pile, a uh, practice play, like the first day of training camp in Cleveland. And um, it just really didn't feel right. And they looked in and it was just like, yeah, you're going to need a knee replacement. And so I, I elected for the femur surgery to reset my leg. I was tough. I really missed like the, the locker room, the conversations, the mm-hmm. guys. I got to be next to some really interesting people and learn a lot. And not just about football, but it's about life, how to go through stuff and come out on the other end like a much better version of yourself. Um, I miss those moments more than anything, but it was also dope to play in front of like yeah. tens of thousands of people as well. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. But yeah, <laughs> having other interests help with the transition a lot. You're going to get your opportunity to get in front of a lot of people again as you come out to U.S. Bank Stadium for the game Monday night versus San Francisco. Um, what are you looking forward to I mean, from a, even from a football standpoint with this matchup and with this game, and then from a bigger standpoint, just being back in Minnesota and being in front of the crowd again. From the game, good hard-nosed dominant football. A nice, a nice brand of bully ball um, is what I like. I love the run game. I love to stop the run. And so um, I want to see a lot of that. And just being back in Minnesota is, is great. Some real good formative years in, in Minnesota. And just to be back and be in some of the old neighborhoods I used to live in and see some old friends is going to be amazing. And, um, yeah, no, I did a lot of work with my foundation in Minnesota, and I want to continue to keep doing work even though I don't live there because it is very much a second home. Uh, your foundation, which is so important to you, uh, it has a lot to do with reading skills and, and literacy. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah, no, we get the resources, skills, and opportunities to help them better tackle adulthood. Mm-hmm. And so we do that in four ways. First is the reading program for elementary school kids. The second is a STEM academy where we give out free STEM courses through ID Tech Mm. for middle school kids. Third is for the art kids. I was an art kid, and I don't want kids to be told, like, hey, don't be an artist because you can't make money. Go be a lawyer, doctor, or whatever Mm -hmm. engineer. Mm -hmm. I want to teach those kids how they can make a portfolio, make a career out of being an artist, or fuse art with whatever they other have an interest in to build off of that. You don't have to close it off. And um, we give those kids free art classes, and I also connect them with art mentors, And then the last pillar is a community giveaway where I try to empower people that are already doing good. And so we sponsored uh, the Inner City Ducks, which is led by an awesome dude up in North Minneapolis. He has um, now a basketball and football team that's still going for the youth. And then I also fulfill teachers' Amazon wish list nationwide. So if you know a dope teacher that's like a K through ninth grade teacher, uh, you submit them to the foundation. We call the school, make sure they're like good teachers, and then we max out their Amazon wish list and we send yeah. them a thank you note because they positively impacted a student's um, learning experience. And I, that that meant the most to me as a kid because I I remember the bad teachers that said some not nice stuff about me, but I loved love Miss <laughs> Searles, my favorite <laughs> teacher in the fifth grade. You never, never forget that, do you? No, you never forget exactly. Right. And so I want the unsung hero shouldn't be unsung anymore. So we do that with like the fourth pillar. So I, I want to keep doing that and like all throughout the U.S., but especially in Minnesota, because y'all helped me so much. <laughs> so in terms of getting kind of that, that kind of reception, that must give you a lot of satisfaction to see the kids respond the same way that you had that opportunity when you were that age. Absolutely. And, that, and, and that's all it takes. It's just that little jolt in that moment can last 
a couple years. It can push them through, like, God forbid, like a negative experience yeah. or something like that. Just those little, those little instances, those little moments, I think is so powerful. And if I could be a part of generating a handful of those for a handful of kids, then it's worth it. Well, welcome back to the Twin Cities and U.S. Bank Stadium for the 49ers game. And Stephen Weatherly, it's been great catching up with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your skull stories with us and take care of yourself, man. Yeah, y'all, y'all too. Again, a big thank you to Stephen for joining the show tonight. All right, Pete Bursich, let's do a quick look ahead to the big Monday night tilt versus those 49ers. Uh, quarterback Brock Purdy finally lost his first regular season game of his career last week in Cleveland. The obvious keys to their trouble started with San Francisco lost both Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey to, uh, to injury. At this point, of course, we're not sure if they'll be back on Monday night. But what are the keys of slowing down the high-flying Niners offense with, or well, of course, with those guys is a whole different story. It, it, no, it really is. And, and they're a well-coordinated offense. And Christian McCaffrey, when you watch him on film, you, mm-hmm. you realize and you actually see how talented that he really is and, and how much offense he creates because of his vision and his ability to cut. And if you look at the way this offense is put together, they grab these talented guys and they put them in positions to do what they do best, right? The run game looks like the passing game. Uh, Purdy is... He, he reads defenses really mm-hmm. well, and he has one of the quickest releases that you're going to see. What did change with the Cleveland game was accuracy. Granted, it was outside and in the rain. He wasn't as accurate as he normally is. That led to, I think, a couple of mistakes, one interception for sure. And Cleveland needed all of that to overcome this stout defense, right? That's my next point. If you can put your offensive coordinator hat on, and you talk about the Niners and that menacing defense they have. I mean, they're top 10 in pretty much every category, and Fred Warner, I mean, you know, Nick Bosa, you think about uh, the, the names they have and the relentless nature of how they play. How would you try to attack the 49ers' defensive puzzle? It's like eating an elephant, right? One bite at a time, right? One play at a time. And you can maybe get some matchups on the outside. And when those are available, take advantage of them. The defensive line, they jet, they get upfield. When that ball is snapped, they are going north and south. So you can take advantage of that. Teams try to do it with screens. You know, and play actions and some of those things, but you have to establish that first. If you just go out there and run a play action, they're going to sniff it out, right? They're not biting on the run until you hurt them with the run. And you have to change their look and change their rhythm. So you have to be very creative. And the Niners are favored for obvious reasons. And we've said before, it's a Monday night showdown on ESPN, 7.15 Central Time kickoff. You can also, of course, catch the game right here all across the Vikings radio network. So be sure to check your local listings for details. Pete, of course, always a pleasure having you on the show, and thank you fans for tuning in to another edition of Skull Stories presented by 3M, the official science partner of the Minnesota Vikings. And we'll see you again next week.